uh, people's lives were touched and ministered to, and that's always our goal here at Grace Church. And then I am really looking forward to this coming Saturday uh, for Family Night Out. That's going to be a great time. We have a number of folks, good number of folks that have uh, signed up to be a part of that. We're going to have a lot of activities for the kids and uh, what have you. It's just going to be a great time of what we call just good food, fun, and fellowship. And uh, looking forward to that and uh, praying for good weather. And I think everything's even looking good on that front <coughs> as well. So uh, let's jump into Bible study tonight. And uh, I'd like to remind you when you look around the building, uh, this is essentially has become almost the adult Sunday school Bible class that we had prior to COVID at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. So welcome to the adult Bible class. And uh, so we have all of our um, uh, breakout classes. They're all in full swing, as you know. We're doing Sunday school uh, on Wednesday night. So there's people scattered out all over the campus, and we're thankful for that. And, uh, but we're going to have a good time in the Word of God here tonight as well. <coughs> I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture tonight to begin. And I um, uh, will be cognizant of the, of the clock. Uh, I promise you we won't be here past 10. And uh, so that, that should be encouraging. And uh, those of you watching on live stream, Facebook Live, um, especially those that are part of Grace Church, please lend us your ear. Uh, there is something very relevant that I want to share with you tonight. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, <clears throat> the writer said, Now all these things happened unto them for samples or examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And I do believe that's you and I. Uh, there's, there's more potential and possibility, if you will, for the rapture now than there ever has been. And, uh, but I want you to particularly notice verse 12. The Bible said, Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'd like to take a, a minute or two before we begin our Bible study tonight and, 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 and kind of, I want to present something to you from my heart. And my, through my 35 plus years of ministry, <clears throat> I've sat in the waiting rooms of hospitals with many, many families while their loved ones were in surgery. The doctor without fail would say to the family prior to surgery, that this should take only an hour to an hour and a half or two to two and a half hours. Usually he would he'd give you a range of time that the surgery would last. And sometimes, and, and most of the time, especially here of late, over the past several years, it seems the time would be less. But then there were times when it would be more. I remember my dad was in surgery for 11 hours, uh, just several days prior to his passing. Uh, I sat with one family a number of years ago while their loved one was in surgery for almost 18 hours with five to six teams of doctors coming in and out of the, uh, out of the operating room at different times. Then we've been in the waiting room when the doctors have come out and said that we opened them up, we opened up the loved one and commenced surgery and found out that the problem was greater than we thought it was. There's nothing we can do. So basically, we just sewed, sewed them back up, and now it's only a matter of time. 
We've experienced a number of things in the waiting room of a hospital with families through the years. But one thing I have never experienced, one thing I've never experienced, I don't know of anybody that has. I've never experienced a doctor coming out and saying, look, this surgery requires a little more time. But I know you guys have been here for a while and you're tired and you probably have other plans. So I just went on ahead and shut it down and, and, and we'll wish your loved one the best and, and, and maybe we can resume that surgery at some point in the future. Never heard anybody experience that with a doctor. Noah, my sweet little grandson, has observed that Papa has been preaching really hard lately, and he asked me why. Now, this is coming from an 11-year-old. I told him that times were really hard for everyone now, and Papa is trying to keep everybody close to God and trying to keep everybody with a good attitude. And I use the old saying that desperate times deserve desperate measures. So I will say to you tonight and those of you watching on live stream, I do know and recognize the fact that I am sometimes long-winded and that my sermons have not, this year especially, have not always been the most comfortable to listen to. But I believe that I must do what God has asked me to do and I can't always shut it down and come finish another day. And so I want to say today, tonight, that if you understand that, I thank you for your understanding, and I say that very sincerely. Tonight I'm coming with another Bible lesson, <clears throat> and I'm coming to you one more time with the same urgency, the same desperation. But to flip that completely over with the same applause and appreciation for Grace Church. I believe that a lot of people have caught what I'm going to call the attitude virus. And that to me can be and is worse than the COVID virus. It is a virus that takes over one's attitude. Some have been infected with it, not because of a lack of social distancing or a failure to wear a mask. They've caught it from other people who have it, and from the news media, and from social media. So I'll submit tonight, and this is churches are facing this everywhere, that when, when people don't show up for prayer meetings, and there's plenty of social distancing available at prayer meetings. Have lots of room for people to spread out at prayer meetings. And then on Bible study night, and you can look around and even see tonight, we have plenty of room for social distancing and even the Sunday worship service. And I do believe that we are facilitating caution, et cetera, to the best of our ability to, con to uh, accommodate people's concerns. But to me, it can mean only one thing. The fear of COVID is greater than the fear of weak faith and weak trust, which produces, will ultimately produce a weak relationship with God. There are some failures, or some families, there are some families whose marriages will begin to suffer. Kids will get confused and frustrated, and the list goes on. And it seems to me like that most of the, our regular lives 
have pretty much resumed. The kids are back in school and most have gone back to work and maybe even to their office. Some haven't, but some have. But coming to church is a for sure death sentence. But on the other hand, and here comes the applause, the majority of Grace Church has probably had the attitude virus, whether you have had coronavirus or not. We've all had the attitude virus, as I call it. But you know what? Most of you folks have said, my God is greater than this. And here we are still fighting. We're still praying. We're still praising. We're still worshiping. We're still giving. And we're still celebrating Jesus. And I applaud Grace Church tonight. So let me jump into my Bible study because it is somewhat applicable to that. I want to talk to you tonight. The writer said, take heed, those that think you stand, lest you fall. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about the weakness and strength. The weakness and strength. J.K. Rowland said, we're only as strong as we are united and weak as we are divided. Mahatma Gandhi said, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Corey Ten Boom said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. And that is a true statement. Judith Vauroar said, Strength is a capacity to break a Hershey bar into four pieces with your bare hands. Strength is the capacity to break a Hershey bar into four pieces with your bare hand and then only eat one of those pieces. That's strength. That is discipline right there. And I don't think I've ever done that. In Judges chapter 13 through 16, it tells us a story of Samson. Everybody here tonight knows that story. But I will ask you tonight, and, and this is a big question. I've asked this for years in my own mind. And I've even discussed it with other people here and there through the years. But when you read the story of Samson, would you consider him a success or a failure? His judgeship follows three little-known judges, Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. He is followed by two final judges. I believe the last of those is Samuel, before God anoints Israel's first king. So many times the cycle of Israel's faith is recorded. Notice this tonight. Pay attention. Many times the cycle of Israel's faith is recorded with their failure, Oppression by an enemy, then repentance, and then deliverance. Everybody say repentance. I want to say those again. The cycle of Israel's faith is recorded throughout the Old Testament. First of all, with their spiritual fall or their spiritual failure. Oppression, then repentance, and then God would send a deliverer to deliver them. But I want you to notice tonight in the case of Samson. We, we simply see that Israel had fallen again. They had failed spiritually again. They are being sorely oppressed by the Philistines. Then immediately we read about the birth of God's deliverance, but there's no repentance from the children of Israel in this case. There's at least seven cycles of this happening in the book of Judges, but in, in the case of Samson, him being the deliverer of, of, of Israel, there was no repentance from Israel 
prior to him coming as their deliverer. Perhaps this could have played into what happened to Samson. He was born into a country that had what I call the attitude virus. They had not repented. But I want you to notice he had, he, Samson gets more coverage than any other judge in the book of Judges. Why? When you look at his life, his life is an array of selfish, brutal, vengeful, immoral, and ungodly expression. But he gets all the attention in the book of Judges more than any other judge. He has great strength on the outside. Samson is known for his great strength on the outside, but he has no control on the inside. Neither did the culture that he was born into. They manifested the same thing. So Samson, as you know, was to be a Nazarite all of his life. You can read about that in Numbers 6, 2 through 21. The Nazarite vow directives were to be Samson's rule of life. He was to be separated. He was to be called out of the rest of everybody else. But directives that were given him, he failed miserably at keeping. But God's blessing or gifting of strength continued with him. Not until he foolishly entrusted the secret of his final vow to Delilah and she cut his long locks of hair. It was not until that happened that God finally apparently left him. Even then, God later answered his final prayer and restored his strength one more time for one last act of vengeance against the Philistine people. So whatever you think about Samson's character, you must agree that God gave him an amazing gift of physical strength. Samson is the strong man of the Old Testament with a gift of strength that's not his own. A gift of God used even as Samson abused it. It's hard to believe that he even made it into the faith list of Hebrews 11. He was certainly no role model of faith. He was gifted, but not godly. God gives gifts. Everybody please listen. God gives gifts, but with the giving of gifts always comes with certain responsibilities and accountabilities. If there's no responsibility or accountability, the gifting that God gives a person, that person often becomes a loose cannon and, and very difficult things happen in their life. I've seen this across the board, especially in the church venue with gifted musicians, gifted singers, gifted teachers. It seems like the devil pounds them more than he seemingly does anyone else. And if they're not careful, if they're not accountable, if they're not responsible, um, just had a conversation about someone just a few moments ago, incredibly gifted, but never would submit to responsibility or accountability. And now that person is off uh, only God knows where at this point. A study of the life of Samson shows us an example of what not to do with the gifts God has blessed us with. Let's look at the story of Samson again. I'm going to go as quickly as I can. I have a lot of material. I'm going to go as quick as I can tonight. 
But Judges 13 tells us that Israel has forsaken their faith again. And God has given them over to the power of the Philistine people. The Philistines remained the scourge of Israel until David finally conquered them many years later. They were around in the time of Abraham and Isaac. And they learned to work with iron and they made weapons and agricultural tools. And the Bible said in 1 Samuel 13, Now there was no smith, uh, blacksmith if you will, found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man, his share, his coulter, his axe, and his mattock. All of these were agricultural tools. Shovels, hoes, rakes, etc. Israel has sinned, and now they are suffering under the power of the Philistines. I want everybody to listen to what pastor's about to say. Notice the screen. If the book of Judges follows its normal pattern, we should hear Israel moaning and groaning and finally crying out to the Lord for deliverance. But that is conspicuously missing this time. Israel is beginning to accept their situation and fit in with the pagan nations around them. They are accepting the Philistine rule over them and not calling on the Lord for deliverance. This is my major statement in this Bible study tonight that I want everyone to grasp. And folks, we've got to be careful in our current culture right now. We cannot live forever in agreement with how all of this fallout from the COVID-19 thing has not just impacted church attendance, but has impacted our attitude about our relationship with God. I want to say that I, I just don't believe you can live forever spiritually successful just watching live stream unless you're shut in and you're just physically not able to exit your house, and we have all due respect for that. But let me reiterate again. The book of Judges has seven cycles of Israel's faith with four parts each time. There's their fall or backsliding. There's oppression by an enemy around them. They repent, and God delivers them. But here in chapter 3, when you see the birth of Samson and what have you, repentance is missing this time. Because they don't believe what necessarily has happened to them is worthy of repentance. And if we're not careful, we're going to think the same. That what has happened to us with this COVID thing has not been our fault. We're not out backsliding and sinning and parting and all that. But where we have to be careful is just accepting all of this stuff, which I believe the vast majority of it's a political thing, and most everybody I talk to believes the same thing. So if that is the case, we have to be careful about the attitude virus. So the story jumps right in uh, to the announcement uh, of the birth of Samson, God's deliverer, though the people still speak of the Lord, they are assimilating into pagan neighborhoods and failing in the divine directive to continue to conquer their land of Canaan. They're fitting in. They're okay with what's going on. They're not particularly sinning, per se. 
They're just not conquering the land of promise that God told them to do. Is everybody getting your head around what I'm talking about here tonight? So we must take heed. We must never get so comfortable with the world around us, the culture around us, that we fail to follow the divine directive Jesus has given us. When we cease to evangelize and conquer the territory of Satan for Jesus, we cease to exist as God's holy people. The angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife and announces Samson's birth. Samson's name means son or daylight. He is to be a Nazarite, not a Nazarene, which means someone from Nazareth. He's to be a Nazarite. It's a covenant uh, for a, it's a covenant name. It, it, it stands for someone who is set apart for God. So the Old Testament Nazarite vow involved three things. No drinking wine, and you can't even touch the grapes. You can't even handle the source of wine. No cutting of locks of hair, and you can't touch anything that's dead. It was a calling of moral excellence. In most cases, this was a voluntary vow for a set period of time. For Samson, it was a lifetime vow. He was to practice self-denial, separation, a different lifestyle, and sanctification, which is a different lifestyle for a purpose. He failed at all three. So as the life of Samson unfolds, we observe the fall of Samson in phases. I'll, script the, I'll skip the scripture reading so we can, we can move on tonight. Uh, Judges 14, 1 through 4, if you want to read it when you get on. The first thing we learn about Samson is that his weakness in strength is for women. Not only, not just any woman, but Philistine women. The very thing he shouldn't be doing. He could tear a lion apart, he could kill a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey, he could tear off and carry city gates several miles up a mountain, but he just could not pass up, if you'll excuse my expression, a cute Philistine skirt. Along with his weakness for women, we see his disrespect for the word of God and parental authority. God clearly commanded Israel not to intermarry with certain pagans. God also clearly commanded children to honor their parents. Samson demonstrates his disregard for both and he will ultimately suffer the consequences, as I believe, still applicable today. God does not abandon him, but neither does God condone his lifestyle. Samson's relationship with Delilah isn't God's punishment, but it's God letting him go. It's kind of like Jesus let Judas go that night of betrayal. God doesn't allow the Philistines to kill him, but he doesn't spare Samson the agony and misery as a result of Samson's life choices. So the second step down from Samson continues in Judges 14, verse 5. I'll not read that to save time. Samson goes alone to the vineyards of Timnath. He's not supposed to be among the grapes, remember that? So God gets his attention. A lion comes after him. God didn't scare him with a mouse. A lion comes after him, and God provides him the strength to kill the lion. Samson continues on. 
he heads down to meet with his Philistine girlfriend. And you'll notice the words of Scripture. She looked good to Samson, the Bible said. He's chasing after his own fleshly desires. And on the way back home, he checks out the lion carcass and finds a beehive in it. And he breaks another part of his Nazarite vow. He scrapes honey from the carcass and eats. He's not supposed to touch dead things. He also gives some to his parents, but he doesn't tell them about the lion. God uses this too. It was an act of disobedience to his vow. He will face the consequences, but still God does not abandon him. The third thing that happens to Samson as he gets married, the story continues in Judges 14, 10 through 20. When you read this story, you have to ask yourself the question, and I'll ask the question. How would you like to have a marriage like the one he just had? Samson at this point is out of control. This is not some church wedding. It's a pagan wedding feast in Timnath, the wine capital of Philistia. You can be sure... Samson's drinking and partying along with all the rest. What would have happened if the story had ended here? Samson, Israel's judge and leader, you want to ask, what are you doing? He's joining the enemy. God actually rescues him from spiritual annihilation by the conflict brought about a riddle that he told at his marriage ceremony. His marriage lasts a week. Do you see that one step towards worldliness, carnality, trying to fit in, trying to be a part of the culture around you, leads to a journey away from God. It leads away from God's will and God's purpose for our lives. God did not reject Samson here. No, He did not. But why? Perhaps you could tell me. It's because God is incredibly gracious. God is amazingly merciful. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But let's continue. Later he goes back to Timnath to see his wife and finds that she's married to his best man. Samson goes out and catches foxes, ties a torch between their tails and turns them loose into the Philistine fields and these foxes burn their grain and vineyards and olive groves and the Philistines take vengeance on Samson's wife and, and Samson's in-laws. So he got mad and slaughtered many of them. Then he retreated to Etam and hid in a cave. The Philistines attacked Judah and told them to return to turn Samson over to them and they did. 3,000 Israelites showed up at Samson's front door. There's a long dialogue between them and the Scripture. But before this was all over with, there were a thousand dead Philistine bodies lying in a heap after the tribe of Judah turned him over to them. The Riddler of Israel has been delivered again. God's patience with this man is an, 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 an amazing example to all of us. But watch this. The story doesn't end here, and this is what I want you to notice. It's at this point, out of all these years, that Samson has possessed this gift of strength. He's lived under this Nazarite vow. He's broken it. 
but God still is working with him and dealing with him. You find in this long into his life that Samson finally prays. The Bible does not record him praying prior to this moment in his life when he has been turned over to the Philistine people. He finally prays. God starts applying his need. This is the first time we read of him praying. It's not a model prayer, but it's short, and apparently it gets the job done. So after this point, 20 years of leadership seem to follow, but the story is not over till it's over. Samson's eyes will get him in trouble again. They get him in trouble until the Philistines literally put them out. If you look at the next verse in Judges chapter 16, verse 1, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. Not much has changed with Samson. He's flirting with the enemy again. But it's amazing to me that God delivers him yet again. You know, I get the strong impression, if you'll notice the screen, I get the strong impression that instead of this being the story of Samson, the deliverer for Israel, it seems to be the story of God, the deliverer for Samson. In spite of Samson's terrible immorality and character flaws, God never abandons him. And he's not going to abandon us. He's not going to abandon his church. He's broken two of his Nazarite vows. There's only one left to break. It's hanging on literally by the hair of his head. There was no power in that hair, but it became the last straw in the process of Samson's fall, and God even worked through that. Samson's final romance ends in disaster. Where the name Samson means sun or daylight, Delilah means weakness or brought low. And she was Samson's final weakness, the weakness in strength. She brings him down. You know the story. She courted him. She flirted with him. She coerced him. She finally got him asleep on her lap. He lets go of the secret. It's my hair. You cut my hair. She has his hair cut. She calls out that Samson, the Philistines, be upon you, and he jumped up. And the Bible said, and this, this is what I want everybody at Grace Church to hear, everybody that's watching this tonight, that when Samson jumped up to fight his greatest enemy, not only was he weak, he was just like any other man, but what he did not know was that the Lord had left him. We, I just told you a, a few minutes ago that he finally prayed apparently his first prayer at least the first one that the Bible records not perhaps too awfully long prior to that you'd think by now that if anybody would recognize who God was and what his source of strength was it would be Samson but the Bible said he wist not that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him this is what concerns me with the attitude virus as Samson lived virtually his entire life, he lived the Nazarite vow even though it was very loosely. He broke the vow, but he didn't break it often. 
I don't know how much he engaged dead things. We know about the lion carcass, but after that or beyond that, I don't know. I don't think it was probably very much. I think when he killed somebody, I don't think he went back and played around with the, the, the carcass or the corpse. I, I think he was somewhat of a God-called man, and he accomplished some great things for the people of God in his life. But he had an attitude. And that attitude brought him to a place that he did not recognize the presence of God being with him or not. And this is what so concerns me that we as, as God's people, we as the church, I mean, we, we are the church. It's not this building. It's the people. We all know and understand that. But if we... Are we accepting the culture around us and, and saying, well, it's okay and, and you know, this, is, this is for our health and what have you? I want to submit to all of you tonight, and you may be offended at what I'm about to say, and I don't mean to offend anybody. But I believe being not right with God or not in a place with God that you're supposed to be is a whole lot worse than catching COVID. Your spirituality is your top priority. You're being right with God, close to God doing what God wants you to do, being what God wants you to be, pursuing God's purpose, that's your top priority. And I don't want anybody here to take that out of context tonight. And is it possible that if we just accept these conditions as a church, and, and a whole lot of other states have it a whole lot worse than we do, but, but our state has opened up quite a bit, but church people haven't. They're, they're still not quite there yet. I was in a very busy very social place of uh, business today and uh, there there was no precautions being made about anything people are resuming their their attitude is going back to, to normal pre-covid it's happening more and more but not at church and i'm concerned that our church people around the world are accepting this new philosophy this new attitude this new presentation that that, that, that we're just going to have to do this forever, even though the rest of our lives have resumed pretty much normal. When, when she, when Delilah says the Philistines are upon you, Samson thought but did not know the Lord had left him. Those last five words, the Lord has left him. They're haunting then comes bonding. He's bound, then comes blinding, and then comes grinding. Folks, we can't let this happen. It, it may not happen literally, and I don't mean it literally, but spiritually, we can't afford for our culture around us to bind up the church. We can't let that happen. We can't. We have to fight against it. We can't be blinded and say, well, I'm only doing what is in my best interest for my health and what have you. Pretty soon we're grinding at the, the meal of the government and political persuasion and political opinion. I could stand here tonight and, 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 and you know, we could debate the thing, and, and I, I don't want to do that, but uh, I do know it's not being reported on the, the media. They're not going to report it, but the CDC has changed its posture quite a bit on a lot of these requirements they've made, and the bottom line said they're really not doing a lot of good. 
but we've agreed to that. And, and, and I think it's important that everybody study and, 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 and you research and, and what have you. And I think you'll find that we've, the church has been pushed into a corner. My only comfort in this is that bars have been pushed in the same corner. We're in the same corner with a bar room because people aren't going back to those either. So maybe that's a plus, but uh, that don't give me a lot of comfort. The, the, the purpose of God's church and the reason for us being here tonight, folks, it must continue and it must move forward. It must move forward. God's purpose don't take vacations and it don't do the bidding of the government. It never has. Read the book of Acts. It never has. And I believe it's important and it's priority that we stand up and we stand tall for God's purpose, for God's plan, and not just accept what is happening that the Philistines are going to start sharpening all of our tools for us. That can't happen. God has to be our source of provision. God has to be our source of guidance. God has to be our source of everything. Yes, he does. And so Samson's life, instead of beginning in prayer, ends in prayer. You don't find him a prayer warrior. You don't find him a man full of faith. You don't find him moral. You find a man who was gifted, but without responsibility and accountability. But his life does end in prayer, and he does die a hero. But I still say, I still contend in the life of Samson. I wished his heroism had been lived out in his life more than his death. And I, I, to me, it's a sad epitaph. So I'll go back to my question I asked at the first of this Bible study. So in your mind, was he a success or a failure? I think that could be debated a long time. But I'll tell you this. God's word has promised. It's been prophesied over and over in the word of God that God is going to rapture out a victorious church out of this world. He's going to do that. And our attitude is going to, will, will largely determine whether we're going to be a part of that or not. Uh, if we just continue to accept things, I could see some very detrimental times coming to the church. And so I told you tonight at the very beginning that I, God nudges me with this, and I feel like it's, it's my job, it's my duty, my obligation to present it, to challenge us with it. We have to be careful. We're a strong church. The people of God are incredibly strong people. You can read throughout the scripture and you can even fast forward to our current day. The church has stood up to things through the years. It has been amazing. The devil has thrown and hurled everything at the church. I preached about that Sunday. Everything he can at the church. The church just keeps on moving. This, we cannot be any less in this situation. We have to keep moving forward. So we cannot suffer weakness and our amazing God-given strength. We cannot be weak people. Not now, not ever. Thank the Lord. Would you stand with me tonight? It's been a pleasure to stand in this pulpit tonight and to proclaim the Word of God. I do feel like it's timely. I believe it's relevant. I believe it deserves our consideration. And I think it deserves us to all find a prayer closet somewhere and say, okay, God, we want you to take control of this. We're going to trust you. We're going to believe you. We're going to have faith in it. And the church is going to start moving forward. You believe that tonight? Thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord for his word, shall we? Jesus, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for its guidance. We're thankful for its leadership. We're thankful, God, that is so pronounced in our lives. We're thankful that we can stand on it, that we can live it. 
that we can proclaim it. And I pray tonight in Jesus' name that the Holy Ghost would move in our hearts and minds. I pray, God, that you would touch us, that you would quicken our faith, quicken our trust, our confidence in you. I pray that we could continue being that triumphant, militant church, marching forward, accomplishing your will and purpose in our community. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Greet somebody as you feel to, and uh, be friendly with one another. God bless you, and we will see you Saturday at 4 o'clock. God bless you. Thank <clears throat> you.